Well, good morning, church. Any baseball fans here? Yeah, I guess I'm some excited ones. Woo. I'll admit, I'm not much of a fan. <laughs> I, I'm a terrible fan when it comes to it. I, I ask that question, but really, if I'm honest, my wife is the one who taught our kids most of what they know about baseball. She grew up playing competitive softball with her three sisters. She's pretty good at it. There's a reason my wife was on the varsity softball team in high school all four years, and I was a distance runner. (laughs) She knows more about the game. She's more of the expert in it. But I will say I enjoy a good game. I enjoy being in Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Any Cards fans? St. Louis Cards fans? A couple. All right. My peeps with me here. Um, So I enjoy uh, those Cardinals being at the stadium, sitting, eat some Cracker Jacks with a good friend or family watching the Cardinals win. It's always fun to do that. And, And there's something about the game of baseball baseball that mimics life. And, and I, I appreciate that. Like part of the success of a baseball player is measured by how good you are at getting away from home. And so you spend your energy to get away from home, but then you spend your time, your energy trying to get back home. There's this sense of homelessness in the game of baseball. And the whole time, somebody else is trying to take you out. It feels a little bit like life. Now, we're in week 31 of Quest 52. Uh, This is a 52-week, a year-long pursuit of Jesus this year. If you are newer to us and you don't yet have your own copy of Quest 52, you can pick one up for yourself, uh, get a discounted copy for you and a friend. I encourage you, don't read this alone. Go through it with somebody else. There are discussion questions in the back of each chapter. The chapters are short. And this is not a replacement for the Bible. This is a supplement to the Bible. This is to help us dig into our Bibles in an effort not just to learn more about the Bible or to learn more about Jesus, but to get to know Jesus better and to walk more closely with him. And so I encourage you to use this and to use those questions to have spiritual conversations. In fact, that's one of the ways God grows our faith most and strongest is through our conversations, through our interactions with spiritual friends, having spiritual friendships. That's why we're so big on groups here at OCC. And I encourage you, if you're not part of a group, get into a group. You're going to be hearing more about that later. You'll uh, hear more about that in the weeks to come. But get in a group. We all need spiritual friendships. We all need to group. But One of the things I love about this also is that each week there's a driving question for the week. And this week's question is this. What does God think about prodigals? What does Jesus feel about prodigals? Now, to answer that question, we see Jesus tell three stories in Luke chapter 15. So that's where we are today. If you want to follow along, you can use the Bible in front of you or you can open up to your Bible app on your phone or your own Bible if you brought it. We're in Luke chapter 15. At the beginning of that chapter, Jesus tells a story of a shepherd who had 100 sheep and one of them was lost. So he left the 99, chased down the one. Then he tells a story about a woman who had 10 coins and one of them was lost. So she tore the house apart looking for that one coin. So you've got 100 sheep, one lost, 10 coins, one lost. Things are getting more expensive, more valuable as we go. And then to further drive home this point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, 100 sheep, 10 coins, two sons, nothing more valuable than a child. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. 
Not much harsher words can be spoken from a child to a parent. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. But if you won't die soon enough, just give me the money now. Well, what a brutal thing to hear. There was a dad teaching his little boy to call 911 in case of emergencies in the home. The dad had given the boy several different scenarios, including if the dad were injured on one of the power tools out in the shop or if the mom was choking at home. And he asked the boy, well, what would you do if that happened? I'd call 911, daddy. I'd tell him you're hurt. I'd tell him we need help. I'd give him the address and tell him where to find us. Oh, good, good, good. So then the dad gave one more scenario. said, okay, son, one more. Let's say I fall down the stairs and I hit my head and I won't wake up. Little boy looks at his dad and says, you won't wake up at all, daddy? Not at all. You, you won't wake up at all? Not at all. What would you do? Well, I'd go to the kitchen. I need all those snacks. You tell me I can't have. <laughs> Kids' loyalty only goes so far, doesn't it? Well, Jesus is telling this story, and, he's, and the story begins. The boy says, dad, I want your money more than I want you. And then he says, the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, Jesus' audience listening to this story would have laughed at that. So, I mean, they'd have been aghast. Like, what? No. Like, no self-respecting dad would do this. Like, especially in that culture, this would bring certain shame. This would bring certain embarrassment to him. This is laughable. No way a dad's going to do that. But Jesus says, this dad in this story did. Well, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Wild living. Now, you may recognize this story if you're familiar with some parts of the Bible. If you're familiar with some of the more famous stories in the Bible, you probably recognize this as the story of the prodigal son. And prodigal means spending resources recklessly or extravagantly. So in case you've wondered, what prodigal son? Well, what is prodigality? It's recklessly or extravagantly spending what we have. And for sure, this son lived a prodigal lifestyle. He lived recklessly, extravagantly. Well, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and the boy began to starve. Now, Jesus is telling this story and he includes every detail of this story on purpose. And oftentimes we might miss this part of the story, but Jesus has it there for a reason, the famine. And the reason Jesus includes that is to remind us that God is the God of creation and that God is the one who loves us most and best and fullest. And God will do whatever it takes to get us to our senses and to get us home with him, including wrecking our world. God will go so far as to bring a famine to get us back to him. So he continues in the story. The young boy persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You know it's a bad day when pig slop begins to look appetizing. But no one gave the boy anything to eat. So when he finally came to his senses, that's one of my favorite lines in all the Bible. Anyone else ever had a come to your senses kind of moment? Ever had one of those aha moments when you realized the way you were living was not living well? (laughs) The way you were living was not what God had designed for you or from you? And you had to have that aha, boom, oh my goodness, this is not the right way. Well, this boy had that moment and he said to himself, you know, even at home, my dad's hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm starving out here. 
And so I will go home to my father. I love that. He came to his senses and determined to go home. He says, I'll go home to my dad and I'll say, dad, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as only a hired servant. The son who could not stand to be at home now couldn't stand to be away from home. He was longing for home. You know, there's a lot that Jesus is unpacking in this story for us. He's telling this story to get our attention, to get some truth through to us. But one of the first and most primary truths he wants us to understand is this. That the story of humanity, the story of people, the story of every one of us, you and me, is a story of a runaway. That we have all run from God in rebellion, living recklessly in sin. We all have a sense of homelessness. We all share a sense of homelessness. A sense that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, not the way it should be, not the way God meant for it to be. A sense that this isn't really our home, at least not for the long haul, not as it currently is. That there's this sense that we're just passing through, that something's got to change, that there's got to be something more. Like we're travelers headed home trying to find where home is. I know not everyone's home life is grand, either as a child or even some of you as adults, because of neglect or abuse, abandonment. Home life isn't as idyllic as a Hallmark movie. My heart hurts for those of you like that. Even more, God's heart breaks for those of you like that. And I know for those of you in that situation, either in the past or even still in the present, your sense of homelessness is amplified. John works up in Chicago with street kids. He works with young teenage boys who hustle. They turn tricks in the gay neighborhoods of Chicago, just trying to make enough to survive. It's a brutal lifestyle for those boys. Several years ago, John invited one of those young men, a 17-year-old boy, to join John and his family for Thanksgiving dinner. The boy came and sat down around the table. The table was beautifully set, all the nice plates and glasses and the silverware, a great spread of food. The family began to sit. The food began to come out and be set on the table. The young man, 17 years old, leaned over to John and whispered, I don't know what to do. John looked at him and goes, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Boy says, I've never done this before. Done what? John said. This. I've I've never sat with a family and shared a meal at a table. I don't don't know what to do. John's heart just broke for the boy in that moment. He leaned over to him and said, well, you're finally where you belong. This is home with us. Just follow my lead and you'll fit right in. You know, homelessness in a very real sense and a very spiritual sense as well has more to do with, it's more than just trying to find a place to sleep at night. Homelessness in its fullest sense is trying to find the place we belong. And if we define it like that, I think more of us may be more homeless than we realize. So this boy determines to go home. He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, all the way down the road, his father saw him coming. 
Filled with love, filled with compassion, the dad ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. Notice what the dad does not do. He doesn't run to the boy and belittle him and, and start laying into him. I can't believe you squandered all the money. I can't believe what you did. I, oh, you're finally back. Now, no, he doesn't berate him or anything like that. He loves him. He kisses him. He embraces him. And again, Jesus' audience would have been blown away by this because that's not the response of a dad in that culture. Noblemen don't run. Running is reserved for slaves and thieves and little kids, not for noblemen. And why does the dad even notice the son? Because he's watching for him. The father sees the son while the son is still off in the distance and he runs to him. So yeah, according to Jesus, there's a truth here that the story of humanity, the story of us is a story of a runaway. But even more, it's the story of a dad who's waiting and longing for his child to come home. That's the story of scripture. That's the story of us. It's the dad waiting for his son to return. When I was a teenager, my parents made a deal with me that if I could keep my grades up and if I could keep out of trouble and if I would let them know what I was up to, then I would not have a curfew. Sounded like a pretty good deal. Now, to be honest, I did not always let my parents know Everything I was up to, <laughs> but I tried to uphold my end of the bargain. And what was crazy for me was no matter what time of night or morning I returned home, one of my parents, usually my mom, was still awake and waiting for me. Now as a parent, I get it. I don't sleep well. Sometimes I don't sleep at all until I know my kids are where they're supposed to be, until I know their home where they belong. Well, during my junior year of high school, I participated in a church lock-in, small church in a small town, and it was an overnighter at the church where we all stayed there, and partway through that night, though, I was injured uh, playing a game, an injury bad enough that it required an ambulance ride to the hospital, followed by a week's worth of stay at the hospital. It also required a middle-of-the-night phone call to my parents. My dad later teased me, joked with me, and said, you know, of all the nights that I thought I could finally have peaceful sleep, of all the nights I thought, my boy's safe, he's spending the night at the church, that's the night you end up in the hospital. I said, well, if you only knew the other things I'd done, it's amazing I haven't been there before. <laughs> but you know, this is the heart of a dad. It's the heart of a dad. Well, the son says to the father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Parents, just imagine hearing those words from your child. No longer worthy to be your child. That's as heartbreaking as what the boy said when he wanted to leave. But the father, and I love that, but the father said to the servants, Quick! Bring out the finest robe in the house. Put those fine threads on my boy. Put the ring with the bling on his finger. Put those Jordans on his feet. Let's go, baby. He said, it is time to slaughter that calf. Throw the $100 steaks on the grill. Fire that up. Get the band going. Put up the streamers. Turn on the disco lights. It's time to party. My boy is home. This son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. 
again. Did you see what he says? This son of mine. Don't miss this. The son says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And the dad, you can just picture it. You can hear it. You can see the tears in the eyes. You can see the smile. You can hear the passion in his voice. The dad embracing his son, holding his shoulders and looking at him. This son of mine, you're still my boy. He welcomes him home. And what I love, what I love is the prodigality of the father. See, we've titled this, we've titled this parable all wrong. It's not the story of the prodigal son because prodigal means reckless. It means extravagant. But the dad's love is far more prodigal than the son's rebellion. The, the love of the dad is so much more extravagant than the reckless rebellion of the boy. Church, do you see who your God is? Your heavenly father, do you hear how he loves you? This story is an echo of the grand story of scripture. The story we're all living in, we're all caught up in. We were once home in Eden, in the garden, in paradise. And then we left home. And we have been wandering and squandering ever since. We've been trying to make sense of the mess we've made, trying to find our way home. We are homesick. As a kid, I never really got homesick. I left every summer to go for two weeks at a camp, usually back-to-back weeks, and I never batted an eye. I was fine. Summer I graduated high school, I moved out of the house within a week to move into the local church camp where I worked as a yard boy and maintenance guy. And I had that job most way through college. In fact, I never really moved back in with my parents after that. It's never really homesick until I went on my first mission trip as a married man. Spent nine days leaving a group of college students working in an orphanage in a foreign country. And every night it got worse. I missed my wife. I missed my kids. The ache in my soul, the ache in my heart grew stronger every day. Now, do not hear that as a reason, as ammunition to say, well, I'm not going on a mission trip. That sounds terrible. Like, no, no, no. Because that's part of what God needed to do in me. For God to capture more of my heart, for God to capture more of my soul, I needed to have that part of me broken. Because every day that I saw those orphans who didn't have a dad to return to in a week, who didn't have the home that I had, every day that I interacted with young moms whose husbands had abandoned them, and I knew what I would return to, I saw what God was up to. In fact, I would say that was one of the best things God did in me during that season of life. He He increased my compassion. He stole more of my heart. And so in the coming months, as you hear us talk about some mission opportunities in the coming year, don't resist, don't be reluctant. When you hear of those, I want you to begin praying now for where God might send you in 2024 and what he might want to do in your heart, in your soul on that trip. Well, Jack's son, John, left home when he was a young man. John got mixed up with a pretty bad crowd, got into a lot of drugs, got into the occult. John's a big dude, stands about 6'6", 300 pounds, 
green mohawk shaved sides of his head, big green goatee, tats all over everything, spiky uh, piercings all over everything. He's got a flaming skull tattooed on the side of his head, tats on his arms. It suited him well as a bouncer at a strip club. John's dad, Jack, became a mentor for me. We became good friends, and Jack and I prayed often for John to return to the faith of his childhood, to return home to his parents. John waited faithfully, agonizingly, watching daily. He watched every car that passed, hoping one would pull into the driveway so he'd see his boy get out. He watched his phone to see if a text message from John might pop up. He watched just to see if John might step into his presence. He watched faithfully, agonizingly, daily, until the day I received the call. One of the favorite phone calls I've ever got as a pastor, as a human. Said, Fitz, the wait is over. The prodigal is home. My boy has returned. The steaks are on the grill. The party has started. The family's coming over. We will see you at church tomorrow. I've seen love come and I've seen love walk away. So many questions. Will anybody stay? It's been a hard year. So many nights and tears. All of the darkness trying to fight my fear. Alone, so long, alone. I don't know who I'd be if I didn't know you and probably follow me in. I don't know where I'd go if you ever let go, so keep me out in your started breathing the weight is lifted here with you it's easy my head is finally clear there's nothing missing when you are by my side I took the long road but now I
Jack's son, John, and I became good friends, and one of my favorite things was introducing John to people at church in those first days. John would look at me and say, Fitz, I just don't think they like me. I'd look at John and say, John, you're 6'6", 300 pounds, tatted up, and you've designed yourself to terrify every other human on the planet. You do a good job at that. Let's just smile and see what happens. And as he began to smile... Things began to change. But what I learned was that for John, he was more afraid of church people than anyone had ever been afraid of him. Friends, you know what's scarier than a big, burly, tatted-up bouncer? is a group of gray-haired church grannies. <laughs> and sometimes we can forget about grace. Right? Jesus continues this story. Meanwhile, while the party's going on, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music. He saw the dancing. He saw the lights. He smelled the steak. And he asked one of the servants, what in the world is going on? Well, the servant replied, your brother's back. And your father has killed that fat old calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. But the older brother was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and begged him. For the second time that day, the father left home to go retrieve a lost son. The first time a son lost far from home. The second time a son lost right there at home. But the father begged him and the older brother replied, all these years I have slaved for you. Do you hear the language? The same language that the younger brother was prepared to use. I'll be your slave. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. The older brother says, I've been your slave, not your son. And you never once, and I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do, dad. And yet in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. You didn't even give me a little goat and he gets the big cow. Are you kidding me? Yet when this son of yours, not a brother of mine, this son of yours, when he comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and wild living, what do you do? You celebrate by killing the fat calf. You throw the $100 steaks on the grill. What's with that? The father said to his boy, look, my dear son, catch the language again. You're not my slave. You're my son. You just hear the tears again. You, you, can, you can hear the emotion. You can see the dad embracing his boy. My dear boy. 
You've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Look around. The reason you never had the party, you never asked. He asked for it, I gave. Did you not think I'm going to give to you? The reason you don't have is because you haven't asked. We had to celebrate because this is a happy day. Your brother was dead and he's come back to life. Do you hear the resurrection language? He was lost. Now he's found. We got to celebrate. How could we not? Friend, there's so much we can unpack in this passage. I just want to focus on the three main players. And the first is the prodigal dad. Now listen, we know that the father represents God, but there's a lesson here for every parent. If you are the parent of a prodigal, here's my advice. Play the long game. Don't jeopardize in the moment the relationship you long to have in the next year, five years, ten years down the road. And one of the ways to do that is to make connection your priority, not correction. Any parent of an adult child knows that if your child is anything like I was at that age, anything like many of you were at that age, that advice that we don't ask for is not often applied, even less often appreciated. Your child probably knows what you're going to tell them anyway. And so pursue connection over correction. That doesn't mean that you wishy-wash on truth. It doesn't mean that you just embrace whatever they're doing. Hold firm to your convictions. Hold firm to what's true. But you don't have to just slam the truth into them all the time. Pursue connection. And pray like crazy with your eyes on the horizon. Pray like crazy for that prodigal child with your eyes on the horizon. And when you see them crest the hill, run to them. Run to them. Pray that prayer. Perhaps the most difficult and agonizing prayer for anyone, especially any parent to ever pray. But pray for the famine moment that will bring them to their senses. Pray, God, whatever it takes, whether it's famine, whether it's financial crisis, whether it's failure, whether it's physical pain, God, do what you got to do to bring my prodigal back to you. And if you'll pray that earnestly, daily, With your eyes on the horizon. Trust in the faithfulness of God. And if you are the prodigal child. Running either from God or from your earthly parents or both. Your assignment is simple. Come home. Come home. Repent. This churchy word that we use, repentance, really simple meaning. It means turn away from your sin and turn to God. Just turn to God. When when that younger brother did that, said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. When he admitted that he wasn't worthy, when he admitted that what he did was wrong, that's what opened the floodgates of grace. That's when the dad embraced him and hugged him and kissed him and said, you're my boy and nothing will ever change it. So come home and know that these three things are true. You are missed, you are loved, and you belong right here at home. So if you've been wandering from God or from an earthly parent, it's time to come home. No more delay. It's time to come home. And if you're the older brother, 
Do you notice Jesus doesn't tell us how the story ends? The father's begging the brother. The brother is resisting. But he doesn't tell us what happens after that conversation. He leaves He leaves the ending up to us. We can all be that older brother if we've been in church very long. We can all be resistant. Oh, those people, that person, oh, I know their story. And we can be reluctant to celebrate what God might be doing. And God says, that's not the point of it. Don't choose vengeance. Don't choose bitterness. Don't choose pride or entitlement. Don't play the victim. We know the best option is to join the celebration for all who have come home to God. You know, one measure of success in baseball is how good you are at getting away from home. But the greatest measure of success is how good you are at getting back there. October 27th, 2011, Bush Stadium, St. Louis, Missouri. It's game six of the World Series. The St. Louis Cards are one game behind the Texas Rangers on the verge of being eliminated. The game has gone into the 11th inning. For those of you not as familiar with baseball, that's extra innings. It's already been one of the most exhilarating, exciting, record-breaking games in Major League Baseball history. David Freeze steps up to bat for the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a full count, three and two, and this happens. change when they realized that ball landed beyond any catcher in the outfield, that it was a home run. The cards went on to win it in game seven. But did you hear the roar of the crowd? Did you see not just the the players on the field as they rushed to greet David at home plate, but the team celebrated, the crowd celebrated, 50,000 stands erupted in a roar. St. Louis was, I mean, it, it was lit up, fireworks everywhere, church May that pale in comparison to the celebration of the saints right here every time a prodigal comes home. May that be nothing compared to the celebration of this church. Every time we see a prodigal come home, every time we see someone get baptized, may the roar of our celebration deafen the demons of hell, leaving them defeated and dejected at the praise of the saints. May everyone like my buddy John, who was afraid of how they might be received at the church, may they be greeted with an even greater reception than David Freeze at home plate with his teammates surrounding him, jumping up and down. May they know you're home, you're welcome, this is where you belong. May all of us, as the older brothers, never stay in the dugout when the celebration is on the field, but may we celebrate everyone when they come back to Jesus. And friend, listen, if you are the prodigal, it's time to come home because that's where the celebration is. That's that's nothing compared to what it's going to do. We're ready to turn up the music. We're ready to throw the stakes on the grill. We're ready to celebrate your brand new life. And if you are fallen from God, then today is your day. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I'm going to be down front. We'll have a couple elders down front. We are willing to pray with you in this time. If you know you need to make a decision to surrender to Jesus, this is your moment. It's time to come home. God, we are so grateful for your prodigal love.
We're grateful that the extravagant love of our God, the love that would lead to a cross and lead to an empty tomb, is so much greater and grander than our reckless rebellion against you. But God, we confess that we have all been the younger brother. And God, we sadly confess that for too many of us in the church, we've too often been the older brother too. But we thank you that you are the loving dad, no matter which brother we are in this moment. So God, may none of us stay in the dugout, but may we rush the field with celebration, with joy. Oh God, for all the prodigals listening in in this moment, may they know that they'll be received with love, with celebration, with grace. May they come home.